uh, you know, not in a negative way, but I just didn't really want anything to do with God. He didn't really have a place in my plan. Um, I didn't really have a reason to serve him. Uh, but all the while, growing up in church, I knew that God was calling me into a deeper level of relationship with him. And so uh, because of that, uh, when I graduated from high school, I had made the determination that said, the only way that I'm going to make it from here uh, is that I do a radical transition. And so I actually moved to the smallest little town in, you know, backcountry Texas, was called Garden Valley, Texas. I'm pretty sure the population of Garden, Garden Valley was like five people. Um, there was literally no neighbors anywhere. To get to the closest town was like a 45-minute drive. Uh, and so I can remember showing up here, uh, and for, in order for it to feel like a small town, coming from a small town, how many of you know that's got to be a real small town, okay? And so that's how it felt when I got there, just this crazy small town. But to make things worse, because they didn't really tell you much about the program, I'm expecting, you know, it's a fairly well-known ministry and so I'm kind of expecting to get there, to get into my room, and, you know, probably going to have my own room. If not, I'm probably going to share my room with, like, one other guy, and we're just going to become these lifelong, you know, soulmate, pen pal, best friends. And I get my room assignment, I go through the whole thing, and I'm excitedly getting ready to go and walk into my dorm room, and I knock on the door, and I open it up. And I realize, so first off, the room, this is no exaggeration, was no bigger than this stage. And I walk into the room and I realize that I'm bunking with five other fully grown dudes, okay? To make matters worse, they basically gave me like a high school size locker and all of my earthly possessions had to fit in this little like five by two locker. And I can remember rooming with these people who were so not like me at all. I'm pretty sure one of the guys I was rooming with was from like a, a all boys choir Another guy was a guy from like a really small town in a small church. And I can remember at one point I closed myself behind the door, you know, because it was kind of my only thing that I could do. And I called my mom over and I was like, mom, you need to get me out of here. Because I tell you, I didn't feel like I belonged. And it was crazy how the more that I began to dig into this, I felt like I didn't belong because I felt as though everybody was so different than I was. You know that feeling when you walk into a room and you get in there and there's a strange vibe and immediately you think, what did I do wrong? You know, that immediately you're feeling like they must have all been talking about me. They all hate me. That's it. They want me to get out of here. They're so mad that I'm the person in the room with them. That was how I felt every single time I walked into this room. But here's the issue for my story. Before I even knew these people, I made a judgment call about them. I felt that I didn't fit. And so because I felt that I didn't fit, I isolated myself. And because I isolated myself, I actually didn't fit. I didn't even give the relationships a chance because from the very onset of the relationship, I felt as though I didn't belong. From the very beginning, I felt as though I didn't fit. Now, maybe you never lived in Texas. Hopefully, the majority of you have not roomed with five other dudes. But all of us have dealt with issues like this. Every single one of us have been in situations of our life where we felt as though we don't belong. In fact, maybe you're sitting here this morning and you saw 
this guy up here throwing a flag around, and you heard this corner here, we had some, you know, deep intercession. Maybe you're feeling like, why are the lights down? Why are they playing such loud music? Maybe you're sitting here and feel like, I'm surrounded by all these people, but I honestly don't feel like I belong. And when I've realized that this feeling pushes a staggering amount of people towards isolation. And if we're honest with ourselves, the hardest moments of our life are typically birthed out of these moments of isolation. I can't tell you how many people I talk to, how many times in my own story where I felt if I could just simply have someone with me right now, it would make this so much easier. If I just simply felt as though I belonged in this situation, or if I just simply felt as though I had a place, it's as if this burden would be lifted from my shoulders. But so many of us are driven towards isolation. You know, maybe this morning when the, you know, the, we had the 30-second countdown come on, and we're like, everybody, greet somebody, and you're seeing everyone else high-five somebody else, and you feel as though, maybe I just... Maybe I just don't fit here. Maybe I just don't belong. Now, I have news for you this morning. It's kind of bad news, I guess, but good news at the same time is that you're not alone. In fact, when the world is typically pulled, one of the biggest things that people say that they struggle with is this feeling of loneliness, is this feeling of isolation. It is this feeling as though I could be surrounded by crowds of people, but still I think feel like I'm alone. Now, the problem with this is that this typically leads us to this feeling where we don't belong places. And because of that, it's systematically we slowly isolate ourselves to varying and more intense degrees. And as we look scripturally, we're going to take a second and read a scripture from the Bible. But as we dive into the scripture and look at what happens scripturally, we realize that this is not a 2019 problem. This isn't because of social media or some internet thing that's happened around the world that people feel lonely. This idea of people feeling as though they belong or don't belong or, you know, they belong but I don't belong or they're up here and I'm down here, this is an age-old problem. In fact, it's as if as soon as God created two people, one of them always felt in situations of their life that they didn't belong. I mean, when you read through the life of David, you read through the life of Jesus, you read through the life of the Apostle Paul, you realize that people had been struggling to find their place and to answer this question, do I belong? And unfortunately, so often we allow the world or the labels that have been placed on us to answer that question for us. We allow our past situations, we allow that childhood experience, we allow the rejection from a teacher or a parent to begin to answer these deep life questions that each of us feel all the time. We use the situation from when we were five to tell us that we just don't belong, with, that we're a loner, that we're no good. But instead as we read, we're going to read from 1 Corinthians 12 this morning, and essentially a little bit of context around this passage of scripture is that this very thing is happening at this very moment with the apostle Paul as he's writing. Because historically, and a lot of you probably know this, you know, Jews didn't like Samaritans and 
Samaritans felt like they didn't belong with the Jews and the Gentiles and the Jews, we know that they had a whole lot of conflict because they wanted a God, but the Jews wouldn't let them have it. We know historically there was so many issues between men and women and men belonged and they were in a higher place of society and women were kind of this lower class individual. We know that there was issues between slaves and free people, even in the religious community. You had the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You had constantly these cliques, these groups of people where the masses, the population, felt as though they didn't belong. I think that was what bothered people about Jesus so much, was that Jesus was, his message, his nature, his ministry crossed every line. It was as if it offered an open door to anyone who was seeking. We know the Bible says that there would be times when Pharisees would come to him in the night, and we also know that the children would run to him. It was as if Jesus was this giant neon flashing sign that said, everyone is welcome. I think this is why it bothered the religious people about Jesus, because wherever Jesus would go, people would gather. Because it's amazing how people so desperately desire to belong somewhere. And the Apostle Paul, I think maybe in his frustration as the early church was being formed, maybe it was because there was divisions and there was things we know, this person was following this guy who hated this person who was following this guy and things were beginning to fracture apart as there was so much debate that was happening around what was right and what was wrong, who fit and who didn't fit. And so Paul steps in and gives us this amazing passage, which I'm sure most of you have read. But he begins to unpack for us, how does God feel about our differences? Do our differences divide us? Does the fact that you look different than me, maybe you're a different gender, maybe you're a different skin tone. Maybe you believe different things than I believe. Maybe you're from a different part of town. Do our differences divide us? And The Apostle Paul comes in and says this. I'm going to read a few scriptures if you don't mind. In 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to start at verse 12, and it says this. He's likening the body of Christ to a physical human body. He says this. The human body has many parts, but the parts make up one whole body. And so it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews and some are Gentiles. Some are slaves and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body, by one spirit, and we all share that same spirit. Verse 14 says this, Yes, the body has many parts, not just one part. And if the foot was to say, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make, the, the, that does not make it any less of a part of the body. Or if the eye would say, how would you hear? Or if the whole body were an ear, how would we smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, And God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange would a body be if it only had one part? Verse 20 says, yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some of the parts of the body that seem the weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those that we clothe with such great care. 
So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. Come on, the scripture alone could set us free. So God has put the whole body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. If you together are Christ's body and each of you are part of it. And so as we see the Apostle Paul, what he's doing right here in a culture really of confusion in a culture of criticism and separation what the apostle paul is come he steps in and tells us is that instead of criticizing our differences that if we take a look at our physical bodies we realize that instead of criticizing in fact i can celebrate i can celebrate the fact that we're unique because it's actually our uniqueness it's actually our differences that make us useful to the rest of the body. The Apostle Paul steps in and says it like this, if everybody was the same, how strange would that be? And it's funny how in our culture, we can feel as though the only way that I fit somewhere is if I'm exactly the same as everybody else. Or somehow we have in our culture magnified differences as if those differences somehow should divide us. In our world today, we realize we divide about everything. You don't have to watch the media in order to realize that even the the closest of people are finding themselves separating because we shine such a bright light on our differences rather than celebrating the uniqueness that makes us useful. And so I'm realizing this, that if the Apostle Paul has stepped in and realized that our uniqueness is the thing that makes us perfect, how do we begin to create a culture around that where i actually love the fact that you're different in fact this is one of the things that i love about the jewish culture i had this amazing opportunity earlier this year to spend 10 days in israel with a group of you know young influencers and pastors from across north america and one of the things that they were talking about to us is they were telling us a bit about their culture and their culture is so different than the way that our culture is Our culture is, um, you know, if if I, having an argument in our culture is such a negative thing to do. You know, I I am, for those of you who do the Enneagram, I'm Enneagram number two. Thank you for all the number twos in the world. We keep the peace everywhere. We just love everybody and think everybody is great. Uh, But one of the things about Enneagram types number two is my biggest life fear, or I will do pretty much anything to avoid a confrontation. But what I thought was so amazing about the Jewish culture is that they're not like that. In fact, arguments are a vital, the Jewish people would see them as necessary a part of the survival of their culture. You know, for example, I've used this example before. Was, I, I, we had an opportunity to go to the, the Western Wall, which is, you know, the Dome of the Rock. And for those of you who know, a, a Jewish people gather there and pray. And it's basically like a 24-hour prayer service, and it has been for years. And I'm thinking that I'm going to get there, and it's going to be this solemn, reverent moment that I'm about to experience, 
where it's almost like a holy silence except for this slight buzz where people are in deep intercession for the saving of their people. Man, I got to tell you, I couldn't be any more wrong. It was, there was, in fact, there was actually tables that were set up. It was kind of like, it was a table like this, and there'd be one chair on one side and one chair on the other side. And I asked somebody, and there were, there was probably 50 of these. And then if you went inside the building, there was probably another 150 inside of this building. And I asked one of the leaders on my trip, you know, what are these tables for? And he told me that actually what these people do, these Jewish rabbis, they do is in the most holy, sacred place, in their whole country, they sit across from each other and they argue with each other. It's true. If you go there, it's the strangest sight to see is that they argue because they understand something about argument. They understand something about their differences is they realize that their differences are the very things that make them strong. In fact, they attribute this nature that they have to the reason why throughout history, through all the negative, just garbage that has happened to this people group, they attribute the success of their survival to this ingrained understanding of the, the beauty of their differences. And so my question is, is that in our Western world, we really don't feel that way, as I've said, we a lot of the time use our differences or we feel different. And I think that especially in a church environment, it can very much feel that way. We could feel as though in order to come to church, you know, we got to like, I got to like put it on. I got to like button up and, uh, you know, I can't tell anybody what I was doing last night because, oh God, should anybody find out? Or if I could never tell anybody about the doubts that I feel on the inside of me. But you know what I love about Jesus that was just not how Jesus was. Jesus had this amazing ability to connect with, you know, the story of the woman who was caught in adultery. And it says that she's basically dragged out. And for all intents and purposes, she's just been dragged out into the streets absolutely naked. And all the Pharisees gather around her and they want to stone her because of this interaction that she's having. First off, I want to know where's the dude, right? I mean... Right, ladies? Where's the guy? Takes two to tango. But we watch that Jesus, that's right, getting more stones. That's good. He's like, yeah, this girl, right? God bless you women. We celebrate women. You guys are phenomenal. I love everything that's happening in the world right now to just help us to understand the beauty and complexity of women. But I love how Jesus has this amazing interaction with this woman where he doesn't allow the differences. Because we're talking about, this is the son of God. He's the perfect image of purity and holiness. But yet he has no problem reaching down in this moment. In fact, it says that he gets down with her. You know, it's not that he's standing superior, but the Bible says he, he literally gets in the dirt with her. So much so that he's able to like write the Bible says he starts writing in the ground. And I realized from this amazing picture of Jesus is that Jesus is not concerned with our differences. He's not concerned with our stuff, our garbage. He's not concerned with our issues. He doesn't have some perfect image that we need to attain to in order to come into relationship with him. But we realize constantly throughout Jesus' ministry, he always says this, come. 
And so I want to know this. I want to know how do we fight against the separation? How do we create a community where people from every walk of life can feel as though I can walk into this building, I can walk into this room and immediately feel as though I belong? That I can bring all my fears, all my doubts, all my insecurities, all my junk, and yet still come into this room and worship wholeheartedly this God. So I have three thoughts for you. Number one is we have to forget the past because I've noticed a trend in life that we are created for connection, but we drift towards isolation. And just like this puzzle piece, you know, if we were to compare it, you know, it's light where other pieces are dark. It's square where other pieces are round. It's some have color and some don't have color. We realize, and it totally makes sense, right, when we're talking about a puzzle, because how silly would it be for, and how difficult would a puzzle be if every puzzle piece looked exactly the same? You know, if you bought a puzzle and every single piece looked the same, you'd be like, this is defective. But somehow we think that the body of Christ is supposed to look like a defective puzzle. That somehow each and every one of us are supposed to be round where everybody else is round and square where everybody else is square. And we got to make sure we got the right color and the right spots. And... But what the Apostle Paul is telling us is that it's, it's in the fact that we're different that actually makes us useful. And I've realized that we don't think of life much like a puzzle. But it's funny how I think that sometimes we could create the most amazing community if we simply just took our cues from these puzzle pieces. We realize that our differences, they shouldn't divide us. They shouldn't make us feel as though we don't belong, but we're different because our intention is to give the world the complete and entire image of Jesus. Here's the reality of what I've learned is that I know a part of God so well, maybe the most well in the entire world. But if we want to see and experience the completeness, the complexity of Jesus, it requires that each of us bring about our differences. We bring about the things that make us unique. But you know what I've realized is that it's so easy to see what makes us different. I think that's what makes a puzzle able to be done, is that you can kind of separate it based off of what makes it look different. Our fears, our doubts, our failures. You know, I think about the story of Peter as he denies Jesus, as he has this negative, extremely negative moment in his life. And the Bible later says that Peter has just gone fishing. He feels as though his failures somehow disqualify him from his community. Peter uses the pain of his past to predict the future plans that God has for him. I tell you something, if we use our past to try to determine our future, it will constantly leave us isolated and alone. Number two is we need to find our picture. Can I tell you something? Everybody needs somebody. No one, I don't care how much you think you like to be alone, how introverted you are, how afraid of people you are, no one thrives in isolation. Can I say that again? No one thrives in isolation. 
In fact, we see that in the prison communities, they actually use isolation as a form of punishment. We need people. Here's the truth. I need someone to vent to. I don't know about you. I need someone to share my doubts, my fears, my successes, my stories with. But can I tell you something? We need the right people. Because the difference of where you are and where God wants you to be depends entirely on the people that we surround ourselves with. I want people in my life who are when I'm down, not to tell me, yeah, that's right, you need to stay down. When I'm like feeling bad about myself, like you should feel bad about yourself, you piece of garbage. I don't want to surround myself with people like that. I'm not looking for people to point out my weaknesses or my failures. I'm looking for people who I'm going to get around who are going to prop me up. People who are going to encourage me when I'm down. People who are going to speak the truth to me regardless of how I feel in that moment. But it's so valuable that we find our tribe, our people. I talk about this so much. If you watch a lion hunt on YouTube, which I recommend that you do slash don't. We realize the key, the successful strategies that a lion employs in a lion hunt is isolation. If I could just isolate one from the herd, and I'm convinced that the enemy in our life does the exact same thing to us. He tries to make us offended and angry. He tries to highlight our differences to make us feel like we don't belong, to make us feel like we shouldn't show up, that we shouldn't call that person. And we isolate ourselves and isolate ourselves, making us easy prey to just falling deeper and deeper into our despair. And number three, we need to place our peace. Can I make a bold statement to us today? We are incomplete without each other. We're incomplete without each other. The fullness of the image of who we want to see is incomplete without each of the people that are sitting beside us. Can I tell you, we are better together. We are stronger together. We are more effective together. I've realized this in life, that no matter how challenging it can be to be surrounded by people, together is actually better than it is to be alone. This is the powerful story of David and Goliath, and I love this part of the story. I'll give you the shortened version for the sake of time. David, young guy, slings a stone, hits a giant, kills the giant. There you go. I'm going to do a paraphrased Bible for those of you who would like to purchase it. But you're not realized, Goliath wasn't David's personal giant, but it was the giant defying his people. Can I tell you something? You are my people, and your giants become my giants. Your issues, your struggles, they become my struggles. They become our collective struggles as we continue to be perfected to the image of who God wants us to look like. You know, there's an overlooked fact in this story. It's about the five smooth stones. And I always wondered, why does the Bible say smooth stones? Because it could have just as equally have said, he just like picked five stones. But I thought about this. How does a river stone get smooth? You know how it gets smooth? You know how it gets effective? Is that it hits other rocks. It has to tumble through the waterfalls. 
It has to be scraped a little bit, you know, with all the sand and all the issues and the debris flying through the water. They're smooth because they've gone through some stuff. They're smooth because they've been bumped. They've been backstabbed. They've been irritated. They've been offended. They've been frustrated. But can I tell you something? Their smoothness was actually the reason why they were effective to David. Every painful experience in your life, every time you got knocked down, every time you got beat up, every time you got forgotten, these become smooth stones in our life to take down our giants. Instead of thinking that these experiences divide us, that you've gone through stuff, maybe you went bankrupt, maybe you got a divorce, maybe you're dealing with some things. Instead of thinking that these things divide us, go back and look at these stones. Look at the business venture that almost failed. Look at the addictions that almost took us out, the loss of our child, those betrayals. And realize that what the enemy meant for harm, God always turns those things around for our good. And here's why we need each other. Here's the reason. Your story, my story, become the smooth stones that take down the giants in somebody else's life. Can I close with a story? So my internship experience, it only got worse from this point. Closing myself behind the door was really just the beginning. I was miserable because I was isolated. Every day I would call home and I wanted to quit because I just felt like I didn't belong. I felt judged. I felt insecure. I felt lonely. I felt frustrated. And I was drifting. And just about as I was getting ready to call it quits on God's plan, which would this year would be one of the most instrumental years of my life. Just the moment that I was ready to walk away from this pivotal moment in my life, Ryan, who will, I will, if I never see him again, I'll see him in heaven and be like, dude, thank you so much. He asked me if we could simply take a walk. And honestly, I didn't say much. Truthfully, we didn't say much. We didn't have this crazy over-the-top spiritual experience. He didn't like lay his hands on me and cast out the spirit of fear. He just simply walked me around this circle, which was probably about a mile long, and told me his story. And can I tell you something? His story took my giant down. So that years later, today, we can stand here together by the power of God, and maybe this moment can be a stone in your life and you can allow me or us that hug, that moment of embrace to take down a giant in your life. Ashes, you can pass with the communion. This morning I'm asking you as we grab a hold of this communion cup in this wafer, I'm asking you this morning to fight the drift, to fight the desire to isolate and to jump in maybe to a deeper level to the community that God has brought around us. I think that as we hold this cup in this wafer, this is a reminder to us. You know, one of the elements is called the body of Christ. And as we partake of it, yes, we remember what Jesus went through and the promises that he paid for us. But as we take a hold of this cup in this wafer, can we remember that God desired that we would live together 
rather than live apart. That we could live as friends, live as family, that we could truly be neighbors to one another. That as we take this cup, I'm asking that what we do is we take down our walls. We take down the fears, the insecurities. Maybe you forgive that person who's sitting in this room right now. Maybe you make a decision to step away from that toxic relationship. Maybe you take a second to, you know, to think about the plans and how the people around us could help us. But I'm going to ask with every head bowed and every eye closed that we just take a moment of reflection. We could maybe ask ourselves some of those hard questions like, do I tend to drift towards isolation? Do I commonly feel as though I don't fit in places? Do I feel as though I don't have any skills, any strengths that I could offer the people that are around me? And because of that, we put up walls and we try to hide ourselves. And as each of you are ready, I'm going to ask you, as we just take this solemn moment, you can keep your eyes closed for as long as you'd like. I'm going to ask that when you feel as though you've gotten some clarity, some answers, I'm going to ask that what you do is just on your own time when you're ready, just take the cup and, or drink the, the cup and take the wafer. And let it be a moment where you decide that this is it, the things, the junk, the garbage that has kept me out of this community, the stuff that's kept me not being able to jump into a deeper level, the fears, the insecurities, the garbage as we take these things, would it be an outward demonstration of an inward reality that says we're jumping in wholeheartedly? So as you're ready, you could just take it. So Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for what you've done in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, as we reflect on the goodness and the good things that you've done, as we reflect on all that you've done in our lives, Lord, let these things, let these moments become stones in our lives, stories that we desire to share with the people that are around us to help to take down the giants in other people's lives. Lord, let us understand and come to a deep reality that we're better together compared to when we are apart that we belong together, that we were created for community, that we truly can be each other's neighbor, that you brought us together for a reason, and that reason was to be the greatest image of you that the world could possibly see. Thank you. And we thank you for that. And if you believe it, say yes. amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray your life was impacted by the service and that you were able to feel the tangible love of Jesus fill whatever space you're listening from. Maybe you found this message and you've never had the opportunity to come into a personal relationship with Jesus, or you've known about him, but have been far from him. We want to give you the opportunity to make his love a daily reality in your life. Jesus came to this earth and died on a cross so that you and I could be close to him. He wanted to wipe away every disappointment and bring you into a life of purpose and meaning, one that will impact this globe for good. So if you'd like to begin this journey with Jesus today, then repeat the simple prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I'm praying this prayer because I know that I've made mistakes and have been living without you. I apologize and I trust that you will forgive me. I accept your love and grace and ask that you would be my Lord and Savior. Help me believe in you and love you every day. 
Help me to show the world what you're like and how great your love is. I commit to live for you from this moment forward. In Jesus' name, amen. All of our Light City family are joining with heaven and celebrating over the commitment you just made to have Jesus as the Lord of your life. We have resources available for you to help you on this journey, but most of all, we're praying for you. Send us a note at info at golightcity.com to let us know about the decision you've made today. We have resources we'd love to send you uh, with some easy steps on how to go from here so that you can discover God in a real and meaningful way. If you have a prayer request, our team would love to connect with you and partner with you to see God transform your life. God bless you, and we look forward to hearing from you soon.